John chapter 19, I'm just going to be brief. I just think we need, by way of faith and the imagination of our heart tonight, I just feel like there's something that we need to do. In the book of John chapter 19, beginning in verse 1, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers platted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. And they said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, and here's our text for our message, Behold the man. Father, bless the reading of thy word, and as we travel yonder to the foot of the cross and gaze upon the Lord Jesus Christ, may we be inspired tonight to live more for him. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for us. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Pilate said, Behold <clears throat> the man. They tell us in Latin, it is Isi Homo. Behold the man, Isi Homo. One fellow <clears throat> took uh, this portion of scripture and outlined it like this. His humanity attested, his innocence confirmed, his majesty revealed, his divinity suggested. Outline it any way <clears throat> that you want to outline it. On that fateful day, Many, many years ago, there were a lot of people in the crowd that day beholding Jesus Christ. 
And everybody that was there that day when Christ was crucified had a little bit different perspective as they beheld the man. When Pilate <clears throat> beheld the man, he saw what worldliness beheld. When the priest beheld the man, they beheld uh, what bigotry beheld. We come to the masses that were there that day. That is what ignorant resentment beheld. The soldiers were there that day, heathens. <clears throat> That's what heathen brutality beheld that day. <clears throat> the centurion was there that day. That is what heathen piety beheld. Nicodemus was there. That is what unavowed discipleship beheld as the Christ of God died on the cross. <clears throat> Peter was there that day. That is what the unfaithful apostle beheld. Judas was there that day. That's what the traitor beheld. John was there that day when Christ died on the cross. That's what the disciple whom Jesus loved beheld. I see Mary <clears throat> and the women there. And that's what the believing beheld. Pilate brings him forth to the balcony. And he orders him scourged for two reasons. Number one, Pilate ordered Christ scourged that day to refute the accusation that he and Jesus were in league against Caesar. Not only that, <clears throat> but Pilate <clears throat> ordered him scourged because he was scared and he wanted to let him go. And so there was the crown of thorns, there was the spittle, there was the buffeting, there was the mocking, there was the plucking of the hair, there were the insults, there were the injuries. And then Pilate brings Jesus to the balcony before the crowd that was there that day, and he said, Behold the man. And so just very briefly, I want us, by the grace of God, to set forth Christ crucified among us. A view of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary is always beneficial to the child of God. There can be, one has said, no tautology where his name is mentioned. And so by faith, we're just going to make that short little journey to the foot of the cross, and we're going to behold the man. And as we behold the man on the cross of Calvary, there are three things that claim our attention. First of all, this, as you behold the man, it will instruct your intellect. What is it that we learn when we view Christ on the cross of Calvary? Well, the first thing we learn is the evil nature of sin. You want to see sin as sin really is? Then go to the Garden of Eden, and you'll see Adam and Eve, and you'll see where it all began. Continue on down the pathway through the pages of the Word of God, and go to Noah and see a drowned world, and there you'll see a picture of sin. Go on a little bit further, and you'll see the death angel passing over the camp of the Egyptians. All of that is because of sin. You want to see a picture of sin 
as the Bible presents it? Come travel with me to the days of Abraham and see God's vengeance and fury and wrath upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And you'll see sin at its zenith. Go with me, please, to the gates of Hades and peer into Gehenna and the lake of fire. And you'll see sin. But you can put all of that together and you won't see sin manifest as clearly as you'll see it when you view Christ dying on the cross of Calvary. I mean, it's ugly. I mean, it's bad. I mean, sin now with the Lamb of God on the cross, sin has become exceeding sinful. Don't you see that thorn-pierced brow? Don't you see that blood running down like a river? Do you see, my friend, the lacerated back, the acute anguish, the sunken eyes, the dull, dead misery? Then, my friend, you see sin at its worst. I want to tell you something. Sin is exceeding sinful when it is homicide, but it is most sinful when it turns deicide and kills its own God. And ladies and gentlemen, that's what we did. We killed our own God. See, that is sin. What else do we learn? We learn the inflexibility of divine justice when we behold the man. He had to suffer fully. He had to die all horribly because of the justice of God. The God the Father demanded full payment for our sins. And I want to tell you something. You can go to town if you get in trouble. And you can hire a lawyer. And the other party can hire a lawyer. And you can cut a deal. And you can... Get a little leverage here and a little leverage there. And you can make deal after deal after deal. I want to tell you something. On that day, no deal was cut. Okay? <clears throat> All the way from Gethsemane's gloom to Golgotha's horrors, we have an unbending, unyielding God who is demanding justice. Imputed guilt made him pay. So when we behold the man... We see the evil nature of sin, and we see the inflexibility of divine justice, and we see the omnipotence of love. And this doesn't need a lot of explanation. There, I've just, I've just always known there's another way to spell Calvary. And it's spelled L-O-V-E. Behold the man, and you behold the great Love of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Isi homo, behold the man. If we would ever know the heights and the depths and the length and the breadths of God's love, we must come to the cross of Calvary. Number two, this should excite our emotions. The emotion of sorrow. Our eyes should weep and our hearts should break when we remember what Jesus did. Salvation is an emotional thing. And our emotions need to get stirred. 
Do you remember how cold your heart was? How your soul was solid as iron? And then you realize one day that I need to be saved. And you went to Christ. And it was your sin that put him on that tree. Have you ever traveled back in your mind and your heart? How can you remain unaffected and emotionless when you behold the man? Oh, that we would weep as we did when we once got saved. Not only that, but this should excite the emotion of joy. The Bible says weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh. In the morning. The nearer you live to Christ, the happier you are. We have got the saddest generation of children of God. Everybody's depressed and on a pill. If you're not on a pill, that means you're watching Dr. Phil. But I'll tell you, Phil nor a pill can make you as happy as Jesus Christ, our Savior. The happiest people, the most joyous people, the most content, the contentedest, the happiest people. Behold the man. Go to Calvary when you're sad and rejoice in God's great redemption. Number three, behold the man and it should cause you to amend your practice. You see, religion... It's intellectual and it's emotional, but it's very, very practical. <clears throat> you come to Calvary. You behold the man and you will change the way you live. Outward holiness will come forth. Don't talk about how you love Jesus and willfully sin against him. Those who behold the man become like the man. A man took a piece <clears throat> took in his hand a piece of scented clay. And he said, oh, clay, <clears throat> from whence did you get your sweet smell? And the clay said, well, I was once a piece of common clay, but they laid me beside a rose for a while. I drank in its fragrance, and now I've become scented clay. Ladies and gentlemen, we're just nothing but clay. But if you'll lie with the rose of Sharon, you'll become scented clay. And people know you by the fragrance that you have. In closing tonight, my friend, are you saved? Mercy's door is always open. A good man, when he was dying, was asked what he was doing. He said, well, I'm, I'm just throwing all my good works overboard and I'm trusting wholly in Jesus. You're doing what? I'm throwing all my good works overboard and I'm trusting wholly in Jesus. I'm throwing my good works away and I'm lashing myself to the plank of free grace for I hope to swim to glory on it. That's why the Bible says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I encourage you tonight, behold the man.